Philippians, the first chapter, verses 27 through 30. The Word of God is a lamp unto our, our feet and a light unto our path. Let us read these few words with God's direction in mind. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it hath been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Blessed be God for His having spoken to us. I offer you a title. How about this? Undaunted Courage. Undaunted Courage. Or the optimistic prisoner. What a thought. The optimistic prisoner. Undaunted courage. In 1803, President Thomas Jefferson decided that we needed to do something. We needed to find a way from uh, the eastern part of the country across the Great Plains and over the Rockies to the Great Northwest. He commissioned a team to find that route through the Rockies to the northwest. And he commissioned his secretary, Meriwether Lewis, to lead that great expedition, the Lewis and Clark expedition. Of course, there was no great uh, way to go through the Rockies to the northwest, but nonetheless... That was a mighty endeavor by regular men to accomplish an extraordinary uh, task. Stephen Ambrose, New Orleans, the author. I read the book, Undaunted Courage. It was extraordinary what these men went through. Unbelievable. As they had to paddle their way up the rivers trying to find that route, Missouri River and on up through the plains and to the Rockies, and there they stood before them. A footnote. At one point, Stephen Ambrose says that those men having to, to strain paddling their boats up the rivers were eating upwards of 12 pounds of meat each per day because of the mighty exertion that they were uh, going through uh, in that undaunted courage time trying to find the Northwest Passage. Undaunted courage. It doesn't hold a candle to the kind of undaunted courage that the Apostle Paul demonstrates in his life as the converted now Paul, formerly Saul, and that the Apostle in those extreme situations to the point of death at times, to the near point of death at times, for the cause of Jesus Christ, suffers and is grateful as an optimistic prisoner 
If this passage right here says anything to us, I think it says something like this. Be steadfast in everything. Be steadfast in everything. Be steadfast in everything. Be God's person in every way possible and demonstrate a courageous obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ even in circumstances that are at times dire and with people who mean our harm because of our allegiance to Christ. Point number one would be this. Remain, remain, remain. Here are three remains in this first point. Remain or stay. Stay firm. Remain. The first one then is remain steadfast as Paul tells us here. Steadfast. Is that what you want written on your tombstone? Steadfast Bebo. <laughs> well, that wouldn't be bad, would it? Because the word steadfast is saying tenacious, holding on, firm in what one believes. No budging when it comes to the truth. Divine preservation does not cancel but implies human perseverance. It is God who is at work in you, causing you to will and do of His good pleasure. Yes! But Paul is saying, be steadfast, remain tenacious in all things of the gospel and in the manner of life, to use Paul's phrase there. One man said, behavior or conduct of a citizen of the state... And it means exercising citizenship or act as a citizen. Note yourself to be in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and be obedient to the King in all that you do. Our real place is in heaven, but we are citizens of the kingdom of God right here and right now. Remain steadfast as a result of that. A second remain that Paul notes here... Remain united in attitude toward all the common believers that we have around us. We are a band of brothers and sisters moving toward heaven. And we are to have a, an attitude toward those who are in Christ with whom we may differ in some aspect or another. But as they love Jesus, we are united with them because of the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ struggling side by side with fellow believers. Hendrickson in his commentary said, like gladiators against a common foe. <laughs> that sounds pretty tough, doesn't it? Gladiators against a common foe? Well, that's what he thinks Paul is saying here. In spirit and soul, in mind and feeling, in thought and desire, the believers must be bound together in a unity which encompasses their inward disposition as well as their outward action. The gospel is at stake, is what Paul is saying here. For the sake of the gospel, we are to demonstrate remaining in this kind of united front to all opposition to the gospel. Remain steadfast. Remain united. Remain unafraid. Unafraid intrepidity what a word intrepidity do you use that word every day in common talk oh we're, we're being intrepid the USS intrepid 1943 what did the name of the ship imply it implied 
not giving in to adversaries. Paul is saying here to Jews, to Greeks, to all who would be opposed to the gospel, we just have to hold firm and not give in to any opposition. The fight is not so much against others or other things, but it is a fight for the, for the cause of the gospel of Jesus. Sometimes I wonder about me. Do you ever wonder about you? I, I wonder about me a lot. I, I wonder, here's something I wonder about. I, I wonder often, uh, putting the head on the pillow, have I been too firm today? Have I been too, too easy today? Have I, been, have I really held forth the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with love and affection and concern? To quote Jesus, have we been as wise as a serpent and as gentle as a dove as we hang on to the gospel in every situation? I think we're in a time of political correctness by which we're told not to hold firm for, in any form or fashion in a way that tends to be opposed to the vast majority of people. But you know, we don't have that privilege. For it was Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by, but by me. As we are in Christ, we have the privilege of remaining. Secondly, as we are in Christ, we have the privilege of regarding several things. It just kind of stuck out in my mind. Paul is telling us to hold firm. And Paul is telling us in the second point, think about this. Think about these things. Think about the privilege of being counted worthy of suffering for Jesus. Paul, don't tell me that I'm supposed to think this is really a cool thing to find myself suffering for Jesus' sake. Is suffering really a very cool thing for you and me? Is that what we look to experience every day? Well, Paul did. Paul said, bring it on. Paul said, bring it on. Throw me out of town, stone me, let me be shipwrecked, uh, be in prison, all of these, and ultimately, ultimately murdered for his convictions. Paul thought it was a great thing to experience sufferings as his Savior had experienced sufferings because of the truth of the gospel. Jan and I were in Tuscumbia, Alabama for about a month in, in Sunday school, I guess three weeks ago now. We were studying in uh, the book of Acts and, the, and Paul, uh, uh, chapter 9, Paul being converted and, and all, all these things going on with Paul. What was Paul like? Paul would have been a, an excellent general as Saul and the army of Isis. He was a man with a plan. He was pursuing Christians to stop, rub out this thing that he thought was totally opposed to all right godliness until God got his attention on that road to Damascus. And Paul became an excellent general 
and the army of Jesus willing to endure all kinds of sufferings because of his commitment to the meta story the meta story the larger story hey everybody there's a bigger story going on here this thing is bigger than we thought this is a part of it yes but there's a bigger thing going on and that bigger thing is the really big thing we're into Jesus being the Savior. We're into heaven. We're into being obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ right here and now. Consider it a privilege to be a sufferer for the cause of Christ when those around us would be angry at the cause of Christ. The double blessing, one man said here, is to believe in, in Him and to suffer on His behalf. It's sort of like we were talking in Sunday school, one of those oxymorons, you know. There, here seems to be one thing on the good side to believe in Jesus and on the other side to suffer for Him. Paul describes his suffering as a blessing, a gift of God's grace. Faith and suffering are there both for the sake of Jesus genuine personal trust that we have in the Savior. It's a blessing to be enabled to suffer for the gospel. Counterintuitive. You and I don't think, tend to think that way. It's a blessing to be enabled to suffer for the gospel's sake because, think of this, it brings Christ nearer to the soul of the believer. It brings assurance of salvation, the confirmation of the Spirit's presence. Brings confirmation of the Spirit's presence when God allows us to suffer for the gospel. It will be rewarded hereafter. It entices others to hear of Christ. It frustrates the work of Satan. To find ourselves suffering for Christ accomplishes many great secondary goals as well as accomplishing the primary goal of holding Jesus up as being the essence of the meta story. And we want everybody to know it. Look at what Paul went through for everybody to hear of the gospel of Jesus. Regard this. Count this as important. That suffer excuse me, that suffering is important. In Philippi, according to Acts 16, Paul had been pointed out by the demon-possessed girl. Now, now this man, he, he's taking away my gifts here and uh, was hurting the income of those who were using this girl. Paul had been pointed out. He was slandered, mobbed, stripped, flogged, thrown into a dungeon, and his feet locked in gruesome stocks. Count it all joy! Yay! <laughs> You talk about counterintuitive. Would that God give us the commitment to the gospel by which we could take flogging for Jesus' sake. Number three, remember. Remember. Remember, it's the gospel. Remember. And this is not an add-on uh, to living. It's the gospel. What is the gospel? 
heard someone ask that the other day and then went through a, a long extenuated uh, uh, explanation of the gospel and it was accurate but what is the gospel the euangelion you have to learn that word the you good angelion message the gospel is the good message I mean that in its simplest term is what the gospel is we've got good news we've got good news we've got wonderful news let me tell you about Jesus. We've got wonderful news. Jesus will deal with you because He is the Redeemer. This concept of the gospel, its power comes, as Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Its author is none less than God Himself. 1 Thessalonians 2.9, it's called the gospel of God, the good news of God. 1 Thessalonians 3.2 is called the gospel of Christ, the gospel of Christ. Its emphasis is on a sovereign, unmerited grace from God. Acts 20, the gospel of the grace of God. Its message, it centers on Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, Now I make known to you, brothers, the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Its implications. All should repent and believe the gospel. Mark 1.15, Jesus preached. I, I got to preach on this one. I, I chose to, but I, got to, I preached on that in, in Raymond one day, and I called it the perfect sermon. I don't know that I had the privilege of calling it the perfect sermon, but it worked, didn't it? Jesus' first summon, sermon, Repent ye and believe the gospel, for the kingdom of God is at hand. I think Jesus had a pretty good outline. The implication is that all need to come to Christ, repent and believe the gospel. It's agents. You and I are its agents. We are separated unto the gospel of God. All disciples then are agents of the Lord Jesus Christ. All are urged, therefore, to turn to Him. We have, we, have, we have a vision. We have a goal. We have a larger plan. We have something that takes the courage that only God can give us. I don't know if you've noticed that Christian values seem not to be quite as important in our society around today as we thought they were a few decades ago. I don't know if you have uh, considered this, but it seems as though there is a general attack on Christian values from the world all around us. Have you connected the dots to realize that to be a believer is probably going to become a bit more costly in the future than it is in the present? And yes, we are concerned, aren't we? for children and grandchildren and children of grandchildren what would their lives be like 
they probably will be expected in those circumstances to hold more firmly the kind of teaching that Paul is giving right in this passage. Standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel in no way alarmed by your opponents which is a sign of destruction for them but of salvation for you and that too from God. Yes, we're agents. Yes, we have responsibilities. And yes, it takes the courage that only God can give to have undaunted courage like Paul had. And God gives blessing to you and to me to serve Him where you are. Where you are. Just be God's people where you are. Just do what God is calling you to do in manner and in spirit where you are. Be intrepid. Be firm. Be resolute. Because your confidence is in the gospel. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, our Savior, the Lord Jesus, we are grateful that you have marked us out and that you have enabled us to serve you because of your grace. So, please, sir, bless us as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.